Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 22 this morning. I titled the message this morning, Christ also suffered once for sins. We've been, over the last few weeks anyway, talking quite a bit and using this word suffering as Christians. I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's something that we need to grab hold of. It's something that we need to be also encouraged in as Christians. Two weeks ago, in 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17, we, we talked about suffering for right and wrong. That ultimately, our suffering in this life will lead to glory. And you see, that's our encouragement. Let's reread those verses again as we get into our text this morning. Look at your Bibles at verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? He's asking a question. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, Peter says you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Peter quoting from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. When he says, if you should, he's saying that not all of you probably will suffer to any great extent for righteousness' sake. Many of us will never be martyred for our faith or have a cat of nine tails against our back. But we will suffer some form in this life if you make a stand for righteousness in your life. But Peter says, you're blessed. It'll bring a blessing to you in your life when you know that you are being persecuted or suffering for the cause of Christ and you're doing it for His cause, for His name. God will bless you. You've been hearing me a lot lately anyway, talking about that we're living in desperate days. I wonder if we all see it that way. I know I do. And maybe I do because I, I, I try to watch what's going around me in the news. I, I try to keep uh, in touch with what's going on in our world today, all over the world and in the United States. And I'm of the opinion that we are living in desperate days. 
And not only are we in desperate days, but I believe that we have even more desperate days to come. Peter's wanting to encourage you and I. He's wanting, if you want to say, to prepare us for the days ahead. So that we might be ready when those days come upon our lives. Matthew chapter 24, it speaks of the days prior to Christ's second coming. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, concerning the days before I return. He says in Matthew 24, verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We read in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. I have to say, those are the days that we're living in. Those are the desperate days that we're in today. Calling evil good. And good evil. You see, if you make a stand for righteousness, you make a stand for what's good and what's right, in a world that is growing darker and darker. Peter says you will suffer. There will be some form of suffering for righteousness' sake. You see, we have an enemy, and our enemy is real. And our enemy wants nothing more than for you to retreat. For you to withdraw yourself. For you to be quieted by the voices that are around you. By the evil that's around you. By those that are making a stance for evil. He wants you to shrink back from being a voice in a world that is crumbling around us. That's what the enemy wants to do. And you see, if he can shelve one of you as a Christian, he's happy. That's all he wants to do. He can't take your salvation, but he would love to quiet you. He would love to, for you to just to not say anything. Just to kind of exist and kind of go with the flow. And as persecution intensifies, 
as you see persecution arising, you see there's a fear or there's, a, there's an issue with the church withdrawing in those circumstances. Hiding out. No longer opening our mouths for Christ. Being afraid of man. You see, that's, that's what he wants. He wants to grip your heart with fear. The fear of man. He wants to keep you quiet. Peter says, don't be afraid of man. But rather, sanctify or set Christ apart in your heart. You see, that should be our stance. God, that you would be on the throne of my heart, and when I place you on the throne of my heart, I won't be able to help but open my mouth for you. You're at the center of my heart. You're why I get up every day. And because of that, you'll always be ready. You'll be in that place when somebody raises the question, when someone makes the statement, and you know that you have that tugging on your heart to say something, to respond to that person, you'll be ready. You'll be ready to give a defense for what you believe. You'll be able to stand up against the arguments that are out there of what's right and wrong. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know how to give a defense. We need to be Spirit-filled. We need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be unashamed of our faith so that we might open our mouth and be bold for Jesus Christ. We have a, a couple men, and I think the prior week we had a few more that were there, a couple others, but we had a couple of men out in our parking lot on Saturday. They had a, they had a sign out there, bread, free bread. And not only that, but it said prayer and, and bread. And they stood out on the parkway and, and just were waiting for people to pull into the parking lot. They had to be ready in their hearts. If somebody pulled in, they were looking for those divine appointments. Looking for an opportunity to open their mouth for Christ. I believe that they prayed before they began. God, would You fill us? Would You use us to open our mouth for You? And by the way, there's an opportunity for each and every one of you to come out for a couple of hours on a Saturday to be in that parking lot and see that God won't open a door for you to be used by Him. It takes steps of faith. It takes stepping out and saying, God, I, I don't even know quite what, but Lord, I'm trusting that You'll give me the words. You'll give me the boldness to open my mouth, Lord, for that individual or that family that pulls into the parking lot. Lord, that You would give me an opportunity to lift You up, to speak about You. Pray for the Saturdays when those that are out there in the parking lot 
that God would use them. And ask the Lord to show you if He's calling you to come out on a Saturday. Just try it. Come out for a Saturday and go out there and, and if you just pray while you're out there, then do that. And see if God won't use you in a powerful way. If I were to bring an individual into this church that didn't know Christ, and I were to walk over to any one of you and set that person down next to you, and I were to say, could you tell this person how they can know in their heart that they have salvation? How they can know where they're going to go when they die? How they can know for sure where they're going to be in eternity? Are you ready? Would you be ready right now if I had that individual just to sit and you began to share with them what you know of how they can get right in their hearts with Jesus Christ? How they can know where they're going to go when they die? Are you ready even right now? And if you could say you'd be a little bit nervous about that, if you could say, I'm not quite sure what I would say. I don't have it on the tip of my tongue, what, what might roll off of my tongue. Then you need to place Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. You do that every day of the week. And then when that opportunity arises, that you might be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason of the hope that's in you. That's what we're called to do as Christians. To be ready, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set Him apart in your heart. And be ready to give a defense to everyone who would ask you. Peter says, and do it with meekness and fear. Do it with humility. Do it in reverence of the one you're speaking on behalf of. Honor the Lord and what you would say to that individual by being ready and sharing the whole gospel and, and telling them all that they need. You know, honor the Lord in that. Peter also says in verse 17, he says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Doing good. In a world that is really bent on doing evil and calling good evil and you making a stance for what is right and what is good. It's better if you suffer for the will of God. We come to verse 18 this morning. We're leaving... Uh, verse 17, we come to verse 18 and it starts with the word for. That word for is a transition word. We're still following the whole thought, the train of thought that we've been looking at even in verse 17. 
And we come to now verse 18, because Peter is going to talk about, again, suffering for righteousness' sake. And he's going to say, Peter's going to say, Jesus is your example that you can look to. If you want to be encouraged, Christians, then just simply look at Jesus Christ. Let Him be the one who is the example to you of one who suffered for doing good. And follow in His pathway. You see, Jesus was on a pathway that led to what? Suffering at the cross. And Peter also says that that suffering of our Lord, it ultimately led to His glory. He rose from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. That suffering of Christ and what was accomplished, it led to glory. The next five verses that we're going to read this morning, they're meant to encourage you. He's with you. He's in you. His Holy Spirit is in you. And He can also be upon you. As you pray and you ask God to fill you to overflowing with His Holy Spirit, that His Holy Spirit can be upon you in power so that you might live for Him. That you might proclaim this good news to other people. And as you suffer for righteousness' sake, for doing good, you'll be blessed. That's what Peter is wanting to encourage us in. Looking ahead to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, Peter says this, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, he says it again, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Peter understood himself suffering. He understood what it meant to suffer for the cause of Christ. He's, a, he's one that could write this letter to you and I. And so I, I think we, we listen. In 1 Peter 5.10, we read, but many, but, but may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, God is working a work in you. God, through suffering and persecution, is working a work in His people. He's doing something in even those that are in the underground church. Those that are in these countries like we 
Kyle read this morning that have a, a struggle in even having a Bible and opening their mouth at all for persecution's sake. That God is doing a work in them. He's perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settle you. And we'll get to those verses. And now in verse 18 again, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You see, the outcome of His suffering, of Christ's suffering, the just for the unjust, being put to death, we're told, in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, is the glory that followed Christ's death. Suffering leads to glory. Let Christ be that example that you can look to. Peter says, let Jesus be that encouragement to you in this life. That the glory that's to come, it'll be worth it. It's this glory that follows that's the encouragement to you and I. Not only is Peter using Christ's example to encourage us in our suffering, but we also have in this one verse, verse 18, the glorious message of the Gospel. Look what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Peter says, let me give you an example. First, Christ had to suffer. His suffering was not for His own sins, though. It was for your sin. It was for my sin. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He was the final sacrifice, we could say, for sin. He was the last lamb to be slain. He suffered for the will of God. He suffered for doing good. Let Christ be your example. And so we can be assured that when Jesus suffered for our sins, He also understood your suffering. Jesus Himself suffered for sin. He understands the sufferings that you will experience in your life. And so let that be an encouragement to your souls. He understands our sufferings. Peter also understood the sufferings in this life because he suffered also at the hands of men. He understood what it meant to suffer for doing good, and for living for the will of God. You see, that's the key to all of this. Living for the will of God, doing right and doing good and living for Him. That's the key to understanding what Peter is wanting to encourage us in. That suffering will lead to glory. That God will do something in you 
in your sufferings of life, sufferings for the gospel. Jesus, he knew the agony, didn't he? He knew the agony, he knew the mental and physical agony, the stress of sufferings. As Jesus went into that garden, and he suffered there as he lifted up prayers to his Father, as he agonized in the garden, he knew what it meant to suffer. And we need to remember, we need to remember Our Lord, He felt the pain. And many times we look at Jesus Christ and we we consider that He's God and somehow or another He didn't experience the same types of sufferings that we might. But He was also all man. And He experienced and did experience that same sufferings in the flesh. Let Jesus be your encouragement as you make a stand for Christ, as you live for Him. Peter says, He suffered once for sins. In other words, it was once and for all. His one-time suffering and death was sufficient to pay the price for our sins. No more blood to shed. It was a one-time act. We see even in Peter's encouragement in our sufferings, he's bringing out the gospel in this. In John 19.30, remember Jesus cried out, It is finished! As He hung there on the cross. It didn't say that I'm finished. He says, It is finished! Or it's paid in full. His blood was sufficient. For Christ also suffered once for our sins. The debt that was owed to you and I was paid in full by the Son. Our debt was wiped away completely. I mean, that, that should, we should all be rising up with an amen in our hearts. Amen. You can say it. Go ahead. Amen. I mean, look what Christ has done. The price was paid in full for your sin. David wrote in Psalm 103.11, he says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, pretty high, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has He removed our transgressions from us. Amen? Amen. In Micah 7.19 we read, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, you guys are getting crazy. I like it. Hebrews tells us of the greatness of Christ's sacrifice in Hebrews 9.27. It says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once, 
to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus is coming back, church. He's coming back. He's not coming to go to the cross again. He's coming back for those that are His, those that have put their faith and trust in Him for salvation. And we're going to have our glorified bodies. It's going to all be worth it. Everything that you suffer in this life is going to be summed up in that day when you enter into glory, into the presence of the Lord. Peter says, so persevere. Continue to to go forward in your walk. Don't shrink back. If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior this morning, it's a done deal. It's done. It's sealed. It's finished in your life. I hope you sit there this morning with that much confidence in your heart. It's a done deal. What He has done for me. Verse 18, the just for the unjust. Paul wrote in Romans 3.26, he says that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ is just. And He is also the justifier for you, for me. Those who put their faith in Him. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place. He was that final sacrifice for our sins. The just for the unjust. And why did He do it? Verse 18, that He might bring us to God. He suffered that He might bring you and I to God being put to death in the flesh, we're told, but made alive by the Spirit. Why was Jesus put to death? It was really a mix. It was a mix of the Father's determined purpose and His foreknowledge, and also man's lawless hands that He was crucified and that He was put to death. Remember Peter, who's writing this letter? Remember it was Peter on the day of Pentecost that stood up and preached that Gospel message to that multitude of people there in Jerusalem. And part of what he shared with them in Acts 2.23, it says him speaking about Jesus. Peter says, Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God. In other words, it was already worked out in heaven that this day would come. That Christ would suffer and that He would go to the cross. And then He went on to say to the people that were listening to Him, and you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that He should be held by it. 
delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God and by the lawless hands of man. Being put to death. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, he says that you and I can identify with this. You and I should identify with the death of Jesus Christ on that cross. You and I should identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the cross, it gave you and I power over sin. If you're here struggling with a particular sin or sin in your life or compromise in your life this morning, it's that cross that gives you the power to say no to sin. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us power over death and over the grave. Amen? What shall we say then, Paul says? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's response to the question that he just asked is, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, do you see the identification? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Identifying with the cross. Identifying with the death of Christ on the cross. Identifying even with the tomb that Jesus was placed into. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, you need to identify with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's what gives you the power over sin. He had victory over sin. When they placed Him into the tomb, and He came out of that tomb three days later and was resurrected, it's the power that you have over death and over the grave. He gives you victory over the grave, over death. The next two verses that we see in our text this morning Peter leads into this, and, and it's, it's actually created some different interpretations. Don't you like these areas of Scripture where there, people get a little dicey on them? Even some false doctrines have come out of these next two verses. Uh, some have taken these things out of context and built doctrines around them. Peter writes in verse 19, he's giving us an example here of Noah in his day preaching to an ungodly, unbelieving world, but Noah and his family were preserved. The ark, God's provision, Jesus Christ on our provision. 
Look what he says in verse 19. Keep it in context of what Peter's been talking about. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine, that's capitalized, once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. If you just read it in the context of what we're talking about, that suffering leads to glory. If you read what Peter is doing here in inserting and taking his back to the days of Noah, and he'll do it again in his second letter. But then you have people that have built false doctrines on these verses. People have taught, and some have believed that people who died before the cross had a second chance. They had a second chance as they went to their abode, to Hades and to hell. That they had a second chance for salvation. Some have used this for the false teaching of purgatory. Some of you learned about purgatory if you've had any Catholic background. And some people have used it for universal salvation. That eventually we're all going to be saved. We're all going to heaven. That Jesus went into hell. And that he preached the gospel to the unbelieving dead there in hell. And in a sense, was giving them a second chance. Maybe some of you have heard that taught. I reject that particular interpretation of what Peter is saying here. The second doctrine that some have falsely used uh, this text for is baptismal regeneration. That water baptism is essential for salvation. Unless you're water baptized, you can't be saved. And there's a number of reasons for both of these things scripturally. If you take the entirety of scripture, you'll see that there is not universal salvation. There is no second chance for a person. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There is no saving uh washing away of sin and bat we're going to read on in, in Peter's letter here, but there is no saving substance to water when a person is water. It's only the shed blood of Jesus Christ that can wash away a person's sin. But in context here of what Peter says in verses 19 to 20, and we need to keep it in the context of verse 18, Verse 19 is that Jesus, I believe, went to Hades. That that place, Hades, is the place of the dead. In spirit, between his death and resurrection, and he proclaimed and he made the announcement. Now this announcement that he made was not a gospel message. He wasn't there preaching the gospel to the dead so that they might have a second chance and be saved. He was going and he was making an announcement. 
during that time before his resurrection, in between the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was making an announcement, but an announcement of his finished work. To the unbelieving spirits that were in prison, who Peter says in verse 20, are those who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, the unbelieving souls who had rejected, had rejected Noah's message, and get this, for 120 years. Put yourself in this place. Peter's talking about suffering in a world that will, will bring persecution and suffering to you as a, as a Christian if you stand for Christ, if you witness for Christ. Think of Noah, righteous Noah, preaching for 120 years to an ungodly world that didn't want to hear it. Jesus, the Holy Spirit really, going and making a pronouncement to those souls that were in prison, so to speak, the unbelieving souls in prison. Just for your own interest, there are some that have interpreted this scripture uh, this way. They believe that Jesus went and he preached to the fallen angels that we read about in Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim that had fallen, these angels that had fallen, and thus fulfilled the promise of Philippians 2.10 that says that someday at the name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those even that are under the earth, that every knee is going to bow someday and that Jesus went and He actually preached really, or made an announcement to these fallen angels. Still others, they say that the Holy Spirit was the one who was speaking through Noah in the day as he preached to an unbelieving world. Before the flood, and then they were destroyed. And as Peter is writing this, he knows that those unbelieving souls that rejected Noah's message. They were in prison. Their souls were in prison in chains, really, of darkness. And so those are the interpretations that people give to this. Some is false doctrine. Some are just a matter of interpretation. I hold to, and it, and it seems in context of what's being said here, is that I believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Noah to that unbelieving world at the time as he preached that gospel uh, uh, message for the time. He was a preacher of righteousness to ungodly world. He was preaching a message of that judgment is coming. You must turn in belief. And they rejected all but eight. Just wrap your head around that. Except for eight, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, all but eight, perished. What a great example that Peter could give. What a great encouragement for those of us that are persevering as Christians in this world today. A Christ-rejecting world as Noah was rejected in his day. 
so you also will find that people will reject you at times. Not all. Some will receive. Some want to hear. But there will be those that will reject. Those that will mock. Those that will say you know, things against you for, for what you say and what you stand for. That was Noah in his day. And just think of that, 120 years of it. And no one came. No one responded. We have such hope, don't we? We have such strong confidence that we have in Him. Peter goes on in verse 20. He says, there is also an antitype. An antitype is a symbol which now saves us. This is where people get mixed up. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Water baptism. That ark that was prepared and being prepared by, by Noah and his sons was a type of Christ. It was the salvation for Noah and his family as judgment was coming. One door that led into that. And the water really being the salvation that wiped out all of every living, every living human being and everything that was alive. It wiped out. But it saved Noah and his family. It saved him from the, the destruction that came upon this earth through that flood. This ark, the water, this is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal, and he makes the point, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, note that, but of the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Water baptism I believe in Scripture is again our identification with Christ. It's identifying with Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. We're going to have another baptism coming up shortly if you've never been water baptized. But to put somebody down into that water is like putting them into the grave. It's like putting the old man into the grave. And when you raise that person up out of that water, it, it, it's that new person, that new creation in Christ, so to speak, coming out of that grave. It's a testimony to everybody that's watching you be water baptized that this person has given their life. They're a follower of Jesus Christ. They're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The water never washes away sin. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ can do that. It's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Baptism is an outward show of what has already happened inwardly in you. Water baptism is that witness that you're a follower of Christ. And I believe that it was even more so sometimes brought out that way in the days of Christ. 
And I think that it needs to be brought up that way today. You know, you, when you're water baptized, you are being baptized into the body of Christ also. You're actually being water baptized as a, into the body of Christ as a child of God. People identify you. People identified those that were followers of Jesus in the day when they were water baptized. They do that today. They, if you get water baptized as a Muslim that converts from a Muslim to a Christian, you go get water baptized, you pretty much have sealed your fate. You have become one of those followers of Him. Water baptism, a command that we're told in Scriptures to be believe and then be water baptized. Our baptism shows that we're part of God's family and people see that and it's a witness to this world. Let Jesus be your encouragement. Let Noah, the preacher of righteousness, let Noah be an encouragement to you and I of a man that labored for 120 years with no fruit. Didn't see any of fruit from his preaching. Didn't see anybody come along. But he was faithful. And he endured. And it was to the saving of his household that he built that ark. Was obedient to the last board on the ark. He had to put that last bit of wood on the bottom. If he would have gave up at the end and, and didn't attach, the light, that, that ark would have sank. He was obedient to the end and, and God called him into the ark and he shut the door to the saving of his household. Peter is going to mention Noah again in his second letter in, in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be revealed for judgment, it did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Let Noah be an encouragement to you. That's what Peter's doing here. He's, he's, he's bringing out Noah. He's reminding, remember Noah? Remember righteous Noah as he, as he preached that message? You see, we all have a remedy for sin. You possess in your heart and in your mind the remedy for sin. As if you had the remedy for COVID, the remedy for cancer, the remedy for any kind. You have the remedy for sin. You possess it. You have it. In a simple message, in a simple word, you could share with somebody what Christ has done in your life. You can share with them that they can have forgiveness of sins if they'll simply turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. They can have salvation. You have that remedy to everyone you come in contact with, people you work with, 
family members that don't know Christ, you have the remedy to tell them they can have forgiveness of sins. They can have the, the knowing that they could be saved, that they could go to heaven. You have that. You have all the answers for eternal life. And God says, you know what? I give you the authority. Can you can, wrap your head around it? God gave you the authority to go out into this world and open your mouth. Never buy into the lie that, you know what? That's a personal thing. That's just, per, you know, people, you know, they either receive or they, you know, it's, it's kind of a personal choice. You know, and I, and I don't like infringing on people's personal choice. You know, I, I think we have been given the authority to go out and open our mouth for Christ. To say, you need to know the Lord. How do you think Noah approached it as he was out there preaching that you, you need to, to turn and, and you need to come into this ark because this ark is your only salvation? We have the answers. And not only do we have the answers, but you have the Holy Spirit that I've already talked about. You have God's Spirit living inside of you. You have God's Spirit that wants to come upon you daily and cause you to be overflowing with His Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to open your mouth for Christ, to be a witness for Him. The only thing that holds us back is our flesh, our fear. That's the only thing that holds us back. Step out on the water. Put God to the test, so to speak. And see if you won't walk away from an encounter this week. Because you boldly stepped out and said, I'm going to tell somebody about the Lord. I'm going to wake up every day. And I'm going to say, Lord, give me somebody to talk to today. Give me a soul to talk to today. And see if God won't open that door of opportunity for you. Next week, as we start chapter 4, listen to what he says. I'll just give you a little bit and we'll close with this. Therefore, because of what I just said to you, Peter says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, then arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. I can't wait. I hope we're in heaven by next Sunday. But if not, by the grace of God, we'll be in chapter 4 looking at verses 1 to 6. And you can read ahead. Read ahead in that and glean from it. And then when we come together, it'll even be better. And so let's have the worship team come up. If you're here this morning and you are sensing that lack of power in your life, I'm going to ask that you would come forward for a prayer. Come on up. Kathy and myself will be up here. We'll, we'll pray with you. We'll, we'll pray that God will just 
overflow you, baptize you afresh with His Holy Spirit. Empower you to be a witness for Him this week. If I ask you right now, are you overflowing with God's Holy Spirit? You go, I don't know. Not at the moment. I don't sense it right now. Then I say you need to be. And if every one of us come forward here, then we'll just have a good prayer time up front. Well, I'll just pray for that. God, would you baptize me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you empower me for today? And would you remind me tomorrow morning to, to, to pray that prayer again? God, would you baptize me for, with your Holy Spirit for today? I need your spirit. I need your power. And so let's worship. Let's all stand.